Welcome to School of Movies. <laughs> Zardoz. Exterminator. <laughs> Took a woman in his name, Zardos. This was written, produced and directed by John Borman in 1974. The cinematographer was Jeffrey Unsworth, he of Superman, and that explains it. Now I'm thinking about all these 70s psychedelic types of a lot, a lot of black rooms with weird things going on on view screens. It is set in the year 2293 and is a post-apocalyptic dystopian slash utopian future shock movie, not a million miles off of Logan's Run, Planet of the Apes or H.G. Wells' The Time Machine from 1960. It is fucked up from frame one. <laughs> this is the rantings of a crackpot and proceeds for 105 minutes of attacks on various levels of social control and ruminations on what makes for the perfect human and what happens when the perceived balance is off. It stars Sean Connery in the silliest outfit he has ever worn. He was paid 200000 We'll discuss that in a second. He was paid $200,000 of the $1.57 million budget, which it made back with a tidy $1.8 million. This film is absurd, mostly unintentionally so, as well as misogynistic and kind of misandric as well. It seems kind of like John Borman hates everyone. If you've ever seen his version of the Arthur legend Excalibur and found the violence, specifically the sexual violence towards women, the ponderousness and pomposity, the humorlessness, the overblown performances and the excruciatingly slow pace to be a bit off-putting, this is worse in all regards. But having said that, it's so mismanaged and so full of bad decisions if you're creating a movie, you know, for human beings, that the experience of watching it is kind of unforgettable. It's a nanar, which if you heard our Troll 2 episode, you'll understand means so bad in every way that it goes right the way round into good again. It's also likely that since we're recording this in 2016, and I don't know when it's going out, that John Borman, currently aged 83, is about to be snatched away by the Grim Reaper. So whatever we think of his work, he is unequivocally a an important filmmaker for history. And we don't want to say things that reflect badly on John himself, now almost certainly departed by the time this goes out, because I'm just getting so used to death being part of everyday life. You just get up and Twitter tells you someone else is dead. So it'll be John Borman tomorrow, and we'll put this out either to celebrate his worst film or to take the piss out of his best film. You decide. <laughs> So Sharon and I will now attempt to talk you through what happens in this film. We begin with the floating disembodied head of a scallywag who looks like Joe Cornish with a tea towel on his head and a beard and moustache drawn on in black sharpie. I am Arthur Frayne and I am Zardoz. I have lived 300 years and I long to die, but death is no longer possible. Incidentally, this is rather how you'll feel around about two-thirds of the way through watching Zardoz. I am immortal. I present now my story, full of mystery and intrigue, rich in irony and most satirical. It isn't. It is set deep in a possible future, so none of these events have yet occurred. But they may. Be warned, lest you end as I... In this tale, I am a fake 
God by occupation and a magician by inclination. Merlin is my hero. I am the puppet master. I manipulate many of the characters and events you will see. But I'm invented too for your entertainment and amusement. And you, poor creatures, who conjured you out of the clay? <laughs> Is God in show business too? Way to win an audience over in the first minute there, John. Well done. Now, believe it or not, this mad moment was an attempt to make it easier and more accessible for audiences. And if you uh, have the DVD and start playing the commentary, uh, John sort of chimes in and says, well, this was our attempt to uh, uh, make it uh, a little bit more understandable for general audiences. Didn't quite work. It is a satire replete with wit and irony. (laughs) These things have not yet happened. Don't worry. (laughs) What you're experiencing is not a documentary, you swine. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I can, I can kind of understand why they felt they needed it, but on the flip side, I mean, people weren't entirely stupid in the mid seventies, were they? This is before I was born, only just. So you know I'd, what? I'd like you can't ask me that question. Weren't. You can't ask me that question after we've just seen Zardos, because the answer's <laughs> going to be a resounding, resounding yes. yes. Um, but it, it, the difficulty that I had with this little introduction is, first off, you say Joe Cornish. He looks like Eric Idle. Which <laughs> Hello there, Squire. Impossible not to take everything that comes after that as basically Asterix and Cleopatra done by the Monty Python team. Or um, something out of the Mighty Boosh. Or something out of the Mighty Boosh. Yes, absolutely. Except that was trying to be funny. And this... Mm. Well, no, it says it's satire. says satire, but no... Oh my God, no, no, because satire has to be satirical of something. I don't know what this is satirical of. Well, I, I can see the lines, and it's, sat- it's satirical in the way that Greek theatre is satirical. But is it is it satirising fantasy? In which case, oh, no, 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 no. who's this is your a, audience? This is and a you sociological don't need that experiment. If, if what you're satirising is um, sort of the... the it did occur to me at one point, actually, or we'll probably come to this in a bit, that it might be having a dig at the rise of um, female-centred nature cults, um, of which Wicca was quite a big one, but there were others dotted around, you know, kind of rising up on the wave of feminism. And they, they seem to kind of be having a pop at the feminization of society, Yes. Um, there is very much a feeling that... Um... <laughs> also, it stars Sean Connery as the Ubermensch. Yeah. And um, he is... He seems to be very, very sort of uh, disapproving of, of effeminate men mm. in this. Yeah. So, And he is held up as the, 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 uh, para- the paragon of men. Mm. Paragon of virtue. Paragon. Well, not so much virtue. He's a, he's a savage. He's basically a terrible, terrible man who does terrible things. And it would appear that that's what we can achieve. Well, no, virtue in the classic sense, that it's, it's, he has the good qualities that you want your man to have. Yeah. The, this... Also, Sean Connery, not averse to slapping ladies around, so this no. must have been pretty he, easy he for him. He seemed to be, yeah, absolutely fine with that, which would make me incredibly uncomfortable were I in his position. It'd be like, are, are you sure? I don't think there's narrative justification for this at this particular point. Um a couple of the things that we say here are going to be, um, uh, we will we'll cite them as uh, from How Did This Get Made, which is a, uh, a fantastic movie podcast that was on the same list as one which included School of Movies on the seven essential movie podcasts you should be listening to on Games Radar. We are very honoured to be on that one. But uh, yeah, so we listened to their episode and uh, that made me want to track down Zardos and watch it. So a lot of what they said is going to kind of filter through in what I'm saying because it, I completely agree with uh, with everything that uh, was voiced, in, especially along the lines of the whole casuality and almost the normalisation of rape that took place in quite a lot of the shocking films from the 60s and 70s. Clockwork Orange also springs to mind and um, 
straw dogs. What makes it particularly notable in this one, though, is that the whole... And basically everything James Bond ever did with the women who didn't want to immediately sleep with him. Well, indeed. But the, in this, in Zardos, the division of society seems to be um, based around... Almost like testosterone has disappeared. In the, the part of society that lives forever... I'm jumping ahead here. We should yeah, carry no, on. Let, let's, let's explain briefly. Uh, yeah. It takes place in rural Ireland. And, um, and well, no, it was filmed there. I don't know if it's actually there. supposed to be set. Well, let's just say it takes place in the future in rural Ireland. And uh, there's two types of people, two casts, the Morlocks and the Eloy. Uh, the Morlocks do all the work and grow stuff in the fields and are overseen by the Brutals, or is that the Brutals no, the no, name of the Morlocks? The, the, what you're referring to as the Morlocks, they are the Brutals. What uh, Zed, who is Sean Connery's character, is a brutal enforcer, yeah. which is basically he is. He a smacks people himself. around, makes sure that they uh, grow grow <clears throat> yeah, food. He's he's been given a position of authority. <laughs> Chases them the down on a horse on a beach, shoots them in the back, throws them. nets over them, and rapes, and rapes them. them. Yeah, it's really Charming. not wow. at all pleasant. That's what he does um, on a daily basis. Yeah, so. Zardoz. He's a Superman. What Zardoz is, is basically... <laughs> um, right, the, the best way to sum him up is Zardoz is the god of the Brutals. Mm-hmm. It's never clear whether they have created him themselves nah. or whether um, he nah. was... I don't think that's know, the case. No. Well, no, I know um, that Arthur Frayne, who is one of the immortal... This cast- is the floating head guy at the beginning. I am Arthur yeah. Frayne. And he does actually say in the introduction that he is a, a false god or a, a... I have lived 300 years. Fake god or something like yes. that. Basically... I am um, a false god, not a real god. There's a big Mark stone you. head... Yeah, big flying um, stone head, he, as you do. he basically hides in and pretends to be yeah. the god that the Brutals worship. Like he drives said, this flying head around Ireland. him or whether he came to them and said, yeah. I'm Zardoz worship. His followers wear his stone head on their heads. Yes, to, masks that masks look like his stone head. To show that they love him. Yes. And uh, he sort of drives around, occasionally burping out guns and saying the penis is evil. Yeah. Well, mm. yep. Now, that is very much a thing of the immortals. This is what their part of their society is all about. The Eloi. Uh, Yeah. And basically, this is what I mean about they seem to to run on a society that no longer contains any testosterone. There's all this stuff about how erections are the source of all evil um, and uh, they shouldn't reproduce. Oh, they're fascinated by erections. They don't know what they are or how they work. Yeah, but they they consider them to be like the epitome of um, violence and aggression. And that seems to be what they um, categorise all sex as. Mm. I might point out at this stage, there is never, never any hint of what they might think of female sexuality. Yeah, they never of, mention the virgin. Of people who don't have penises. All they do is sit around eating How green bread all day. About it? You know, is that what's the is is their sexuality violent? Does their sexuality not exist? Do they never get the urge? That's what I'm wondering, because they, they seem to suggest that the whole sexual urge is entirely linked to penis gets bigger. They never explain why they live forever or what stopped everyone from boning. They kind of Don't do. look for explanations in this no, film. It's they, all they allegorical do, anyway. Do, Rich in irony and most satirical. Talk about things like they've they've uh, maximised their ability to absorb nutrition. They've oh, yeah. got um, uh, immunisation programmes that mean that none of them ever get ill. Oh, is this um, just like striking out against posh people? Okay, all of you posh people with your nutrients, nutritional supplements, and you're playing it's squash. It's very anti-hippie. It is very, very anti-hippie. And anti-yuppie. Yeah. Um, but they um, they also It doesn't seem have... to like people, workers and labourers either, though. No. It, it's, it, <laughs> it hates everybody. You're all gorillas. Like we hate you. Um, but it, they do have um, something very similar to uh, the Cylons in BSG, where um, if they actually die a violent death, um, their consciousness is transferred to a newly grown body. Ooh, um, grown um, like a pod person? Yeah. 
The, you know mm. those plastic bags that are oh. they're growing bodies in them it's basically we also like, saw Invasion of the Body Snatchers 78 the other day so I am all full up of pod people thank yes. you very much uh, also it's like the Matrix they just they grow them in these oh. these pods and, ba- and like I said because they grow there's them there's a bit of Matrix coming up later on as yeah well. uh, they seem to be based on sort of the DNA Matrix of the person who's just died so that their consciousness oh. automatically goes back gotcha. into that body so wow. even when they want to die they can't because as soon as they die their consciousness plant. will Come in back a bag, again. also a person. Yes. <laughs> so anyway, Connery is Zed, and his actual costume is, if you can imagine this, folks, we'll start from the feet and work upwards. Mm. Thigh-length brown leather riding boots. He does wear those sometimes. Later on, he seems to just have small squares of skin yeah. strapped to his feet. But he starts so. off with thigh-length brown leather boots. Okay, hairy man thighs... Then a bright red pair of underpants. Okay. Um, a little sash, like a little belt, sort of tied in a neat red bow around these red underpants. Then a pair of braces or suspenders, if you're American, with bullets. They're like bandoliers. So, and or, then a giant black moustache and a long ponytail and bare arms and a bare chest and a determined flinty expression. That's it. He, mm. and he's always carrying on a little revolver, which is his penis gun. Rich in irony and most satirical. He looks beyond ridiculous. He's also what a madman would draw if you asked him to draw you a barbarian, but in the future. Um, and he never seems to be the least bit self-conscious in this stupid outfit. Or cold. Or cold. That's the other thing. Yeah, he's in rural he's Ireland. He's like, I'm fucking you freezing You wouldn't be here. able to go around in that. Although, uh, mind you, I suppose no, he's yeah. Scottish. He's maybe. Scottish. He's, he's, he's more like, ah, oh, you're all complaining. I don't know why. He, that's not Sean Connery. You're all complaining. Um, I just drink a bottle of scotch and then just carry on raping the ladies and slapping them about. Um, Ew. Yeah. Well, that's what he does. You did an interview in which you said, it's not the worst thing to slap a woman now and then. As I remember, you said you don't do it with a clenched fist. It's better to do it with an open hand. Mm. Yeah. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah. I I didn't love that. I haven't changed my opinion. You haven't? No. Not at all. You think it's good to slap a woman? No, I don't think it's good. You don't think it's bad? I don't think it's that bad. I think that it depends entirely on the circumstances and if it merits it. Yeah. What would merit it? Well, if you have tried everything else, and women are pretty good at this, they, they can't leave it alone. Yeah? They don't they want to have the, the, the last word, and you give them the last, last word, but they're not happy with the last word. They want to say it again and, and get into a really provocative situation. Then I think it's absolutely right. What would- most satirical. Anyway, Zed is just one of these enforcers, sneaks aboard the giant stone head. There's so little setup for this. Zardoz burps out some guns, and then, like, the next scene, after Sean Connery shoots us in the face as the viewer, just for no reason, just points his gun, pew, shoots you. I don't know, like, I'm about to lay some knowledge on you, or, like, you know, prepare for some violence. He wakes up inside the stone head, uncovers himself from some sand where he's been carefully buried. Arthur Frayne, the Floating. It's, it's corn. The, the, oh, it's corn. Or wheat or something. The, that the stone head is to, taking the, yeah, um, the crop back to gotcha. the, um, the okay, yeah. Eloy. So, yeah, the other Eloy are, are, also, are eating the grain that the Morlocks grow for them, and Connery hid in the grain. He wakes up, he notices that uh, um, Arthur, what's his name, the guy from before, is standing right at the mouth of this stone head, shoots him in the shoulder, he immediately falls out, apparently to his death? And then Connery's like, right, I don't really know what I'm doing now. And then the rest of the movie is, I don't really know what I'm doing now for Zed. Like, mm. he's he's fulfilled his entire plan, which is to shoot the guy inside the stone head. And then the rest of it is just him running around the place, not knowing quite what's going on. Mm. But neither do we. We don't know why he suddenly decided that he's going to infiltrate his own god and mm. shoot whoever turns up at the entrance. The park could originally was originally going to go to Burt Reynolds, but Burt Reynolds somehow is classier than this. He did uh, fuzz, but he wouldn't do this. Um, and it could also have been very easily uh, realised by uh, Charlton Heston, but Heston would have complained about the cold. And he probably wouldn't have worn that outfit. He'd have been happy about the guns, though. Yes. I do like 
from my cold dead hand. I like they the do, fact that you're holding on to it. He Ooh. does emphasize, although they have this this line. This was the point at which we decided we had to turn the subtitles on because I suddenly went, hang on a minute, did that stone head just say, the penis is evil? Yep. So subtitles went on. One of the first lines. And didn't come off again. Yeah. Yeah, stick the (laughs) subtitles. When you're going to watch this on DVD, stick the subtitles on. Don't turn them off because some of the stuff these people come up with. But yeah, uh, so Zardoz, uh, although he's saying that the penis is evil, apparently guns are the antithesis of this because guns... The penis apparently is evil because it shoots seed Seed. that creates life. Life. And life is a terrible thing. They don't want new children. But guns kill which is good yeah the immortals one of the things the immortals are fascinated by death they want death they never occurred but to they're them not to allowed it a gamely strangle one another no they do that this is the thing they have tried to kill each other and kill themselves over time uh-huh. but every time they die they come back as one of these pod people well get rid of the pods they could somebody is clearly in charge and telling them that they can't do this well then leave the vortex you miserable twats. That's the whole point, though. They, they It never occurs to them that they can leave. Well, this, Shag, um, do something. There's so much else you could be doing with your life no than eating impulses. green bread. That's, that's the point. They've lost everything that makes them that's, human. That's what the apathetics are, basically. Yeah. Eventually they go, oh, for oh, fuck's fuck sake. <laughs> More on them in a bit. <laughs> anyway, so... Um, Connor- so what you're saying is, I can't eat, sleep, shag, die. What's the point? <laughs> Connor, we can sit around and 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 and, and talk incomprehensibly. Um, so Connery, like if you imagine that, like there's the inner world and the outer world, and the outer world's where they make the grain. The inner world is where the Eloi live, like just it's through a barrier, the vortex outside the vortex, mm. inside the vortex. Yeah, there's a vortex. There's a whole there's, vortex. Allegedly, there are vortexes all over the place. Inside this stone head of Zardoz, there are naked people in mylar bags. Are those the pod people? Yes. The bodies? Yes. Oh, that... Okay, yeah. Okay, I got it, yeah. These are bodies waiting for the Eloy to jump into if they die for whatever reason. And just keeping a bunch of spares around the place. It reminded me of that episode of the Simpsons Treehouse of Horror where the collector keeps uh, Xena in a giant mylar bag and just tries to collect a bunch of people. It just feels very much like that. Mm. Like Zardoz is collecting naked people. So, yeah, anyway, Connery's running around the place. He ends up in a farmhouse with a pair of giant inflatable translucent tits outside it. No reason. Um, punches a plant because it scares him by being in a bag. Then he, he wanders around. They're growing plants hydroponically. Yeah. He, he meets the Eloy pretty soonish. And they're notable because they're all very pretentious and they wear bright, like, garish 70s colours. Now, I theorise that basically as soon as TV stopped being just black and white mm. and cinema screens also, then everyone in the 60s and 70s went mental. They were like, right, we're going to have oranges and browns and greens and yellows and all these colours that we haven't had before mm. and they're going to be on our screens and the screens were what informed on why everyone was... Like, if you... If you're grandparents if you remember your grandparents homes when you visited them in the 80s and 90s uh if you were about our age and they hadn't been changed and upgraded or 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 redecorated since the 60s and 70s you could remember some lurid carpets Mm. and wallpapers oranges and browns and those deck chairs and the floral patterns and yeah bloody hell actually though it's all the shining um, I'm um, reading up at the moment on uh, psychoanalytic film theory Mm -hmm. and the the theory behind that is that basically films reflect uh, the psychology of humans as a whole Mm -hmm. like the collective unconscious Mm -hmm. whereas dreams are your individual unconscious films are like the collective unconscious what everybody's thinking yes um and (laughs) this is not what everybody at least i hope this is not what everybody's thinking well no there's there's a whole side thing there about films that aren't terribly popular but anyway that's by the point if it only makes Um, 1.8 million only a few people are thinking exactly um but the idea is with um with psychoanalysis that your unconscious reflects your desires not just the things that you consciously want but your true unconscious desires and if that is true of film then i think your theory about the uh, the color all of a sudden ha- being able to have things in color holds an awful lot of water because it's not just in terms of now they could produce color um, on film 
Think about, the, this is now the generation that grew up immediately after the war. Your food was all boiled, everything was crap, you're living surrounded by iron and metal and trying to put the world back together again. Those kids that grew up in that environment are now coming of age. Of course they want colour! They want colour and flavour and life and music and dancing and sleep and sex and food and guns and shooting and Sean Connery and all sorts of things. Except Sean Connery. Except Sean Connery. Straight Nobody after Bond, Sean no one Connery. wanted it. They were going, now you're too James Bondy. We, Which we is won't how they managed to get him for this because he couldn't find any other work. And he actually quite liked this role, apparently. But then the kids of these garish people wanted, in the 80s, they were like, look, let's have something with some style. I'm going to turn my collar up. I'm going to get a flock of seagulls haircut. Check this out. Piano necktie. <laughs> And they had style and, like, they kind of, like, unabashedly. There's, there's nothing self-conscious about the 80s. Everything, everyone's trying to be incredibly cool all the time, which is why it's so funny to look back on now. Well, yes, because everybody had cocaine. Yes. And then it reached peak, like, silliness in, like, the very early 90s with those enormous trainers and everything went neon. But then if you look at the films of the 90s, just after that, like, early period, everything goes brown and beige and, like, there's a lot of brown and beige rooms and beige suits and, uh, it, it, like, there's a very... Everything looks like the Pelican Brief, basically, and liar, liar. It's, it's liar. the backswing, isn't it? People yeah. become desperate for some structure after the laissez-faire attitude of the 90s. Yeah, yeah. So, anyway, he meets a bunch of Eloy, and they are headed up by someone named Consuela, played by uh, accredited racist Charlotte Rampling, <laughs> who uh, was a very fine... her fine... official title yeah, these days? Yeah, very fine. What, what did she say? I want to back this one up with facts. What did Charlotte Rampling get into hot water saying recently? I've got no idea. You're going to have to look that one up. Let's check this one out, shall we? Charlotte Rampling Racism. Oh, that was it. She said that diversity is racist to white people. Fuck off, Charlotte. Anyway, so Charlotte Rampling, when she was younger, perhaps a little wiser, perhaps not. I don't fucking care. Uh, is uh, the uh, the maybe chippy. she hung out with Connery too much? Yes, yes. This is racist against white people. Charlotte Rampling is, is, plays Consuela in this, and she's fascinated by Connery. No, she's, no, 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 no. She's, she's the one who hates him. Yeah, she hates him because she's fascinated by him. The mean girl in your class actually really likes you. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, her friend May um, is more openly fascinated by yes. him, and she wants to study him. Yeah. And especially um, around the penis area. Especially around the penis area. And Consuela keeps telling her, no, you can't. We're going to have to kill him because yeah. he's dangerous and he's a threat. They scan his mind. He's been raping pretty much morning noon and night yeah they uh, like he's just lying there and they're just like pulling thoughts out of his mind sticking him up on their view screen and uh, they're like oh you're terrible oh you're terrible you've done terrible things and oh you're so, you live so brutally so uh what do you like do you, do you like this and then they they, they basically they they, 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 they want to see if this ape man can produce an erection so they're showing him like mud wrestling and a woman with soapy boobs which for some reason doesn't do anything for them but they're like we hear that a man when he's being hanged gets an erection which you said is like a, your body saying you've got to reproduce now well, no, no, at, no. at which I point mean, you'd be like I'm a bit busy at the moment I'm being hanged no 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 that specific example wasn't what I was talking about what I meant was um, that there is or there is believed to be a link between um, male sexual drive and threatening situations uh-huh. um, and part of the theory behind that is that it's if if your life is immediately in danger, you want to basically spread your seed as much as you can, just in case you as die. You can, just in case you die. What in about women? Uh, women, it's the other way around. They have to feel Be safe, safe and secure and because they... basically because mm. for the guy, that five second, blah, that's all you need to do, <laughs> and you're potentially a parent. It does sound like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, whereas um, the the incubating partner, as it were, um, the one with the womb, is going to have to keep that safe for at least nine months, potentially for a, a good few months after that as well. Wow. Um, or possibly even years. They don't understand what a boner is, so they're pointing to all they the stuff. No really like they have no idea. But they do They do talk about that a lot of their theory points to uh, but- aggression and threat being linked to uh, men getting erections. So why are they showing him 
soapy boobs and that mud wrestling is not even proper wrestling that is just two women covered in mud rolling around to what sounds like softcore porn music in the background it's i the don't believe they're associated with any seen. wrestling association i cry fiddlesticks well, to that absolutely um but no so they they know that there's a or they're, they're trying to prove that there's a violent link so why do they keep showing him things which are not violent that doesn't make any sense to me so, possibly because if Borman realized that if they showed him pictures of the old ultraviolet, then Stan Kubrick was going to wade in there with an oi! Apparently Kubrick had something to do with the design on this. That makes perfect sense. <laughs> anyway, so they show him all these soapy boobs and then um, Consuela's like why aren't you... And then she's sort of glaring at him and then she sort of takes a step back slightly timidly and then he realises, oh, I intimidate you, do I? Well, what do you think of this? And basically, he gets a bonk on because he intimidates her. So Because he realises that she's scared of him. Well. So... Yeah, you? most of his sexual excitement comes from hurting people. But so there's, there's no... The, the best bit about this scene is that you don't... The, the camera never You don't see the boner? Of course you don't waist. see the boner. No, I know. I, I, I wouldn't expect It was 1974. Would, they the wouldn't fact, even say boner. It's just the fact that it starts on her face looking scared and then she just looks down. Looks down. And then it cuts to him and he looks at her and looks down. And then it cuts to the people behind him and they, and all they snigger look and down. look down. And it's like, yes, okay, everybody in the room is now looking at Sean Connery's penis. <laughs> Did he have his underpants off at that point? No, no, he was dressed. Okay, so it's he's basically just tenting. At yeah. that <laughs> now let's have the wide shot on that one. <laughs> oh no, because that would have been uncomfortable for everybody. I think it was anyway. Yeah. <laughs> poor Charlotte Rampling's face at that point. I oh, poor so sorry Charlotte for Rampling. It. Poor, poor racist Charlotte Rampling. 1974 Charlotte Rampling. There's a fellow called Friend who is an effeminate Paul McCartney type who turns up and goes. Oh, you're a barbarian. <laughs> and spends most of this early part of the movie um, being a mincer and exactly what men should not be like. It's a kind of, you know, well, this is what happens if you wear floaty clothing. You end up like this guy. And he turns up sort of literally gibbers at a bunch of women. <laughs> he sort of turns up and goes, and yeah, the subtitle says, what he sounds like. incomprehensible speech. Yes. And, and Connery all... glares at him, and then he goes, incomprehensible speech continues. And they it's all like go, simlish. <laughs> yeah, they're all laughing at his incredibly hilarious joke. Can I just add, by yeah. the way, yep. Yep. Um, disclaimer, what Alex just said is not his personal belief. Oh, that yes, no, to be Borman's belief. No, I, no, no. Yeah, I would like to state firmly and for the record that I really felt uncomfortable with this, like, the, the, the seesawing of, like, m- like, violent machismo versus effeminate, bad, pathetic, limp-wristed man mm. that they were sort of, the, like, the men- plastering in our faces and going, look, see, this is bad, but this is way worse. Look mm-hmm. at that. The men and women all look very similar. They have very similar hair, they wear very similar clothes, but it's obvious that they're trying to... Um, uh, that it's it's being presented as, look, they've all become... Um, I, I don't know if you can even call it over-feminised, but they're, they're certainly very... They seem to have been stripped of anything that could be attached to traditional masculinity. Mm. Um, and uh, you, in fact, do you know how Friend came across to me? Hedonism bot. A man writing an opera about a woman? <laughs> oh, sirrah, how deliciously absurd. I shall see you at the premiere. Courtesans and gentle fops, I bid you welcome to my opera. Let us cavort like the Greeks of old. You know the ones I mean. Um, especially when he sat in that cart with Sean Connery pulling him around everywhere. Yeah, that happens next. Um, Sean Connery gets in his cart and uh, it's a rickshaw. <laughs> if you ever want to see Sean Connery rushing an effeminate man around on a rickshaw while the man throws green bread at people who are just standing there looking bored, this is the movie for you. <laughs> Because I don't think you're going to see that anywhere else. No, I don't think so. So, yeah, these are the apathetics. People who have just literally gone, oh, for fuck's sake. They are so sick of living in this society that they now just stand there. And they can be shoved around if you want to. But, you know, apparently, like, 
they get fed green bread mm. every now and then. Yeah, they they bring food round to them, um, but they it's they, a disease. They keep them separate. It, there's very much a sense of of this is the asylum. This is where they um, they send the people who can't engage with their society anymore because they've gone into this kind of vol. Is it voluntary? I know you said it's a disease, but there doesn't seem. Oh to no, be. no, no! Friends says it's a disease, but yeah. it's basically just it's it's, volu- it's, like it's a mental catatonia. state of, yeah, of just going off. Yeah. Um, so yeah, all these people are standing around. Connery looks at one of the ladies and goes, well, "I'm getting some of that," and immediately starts feeling up her boob. Then grabs her, picks her up, and moves her over to a bale of hay. And I, I tweeted this. And you missed this, actually, because oh, yeah? you, you said something right at the point. But oh, basically, friend effectively says to him, yeah, go for it, help yourself. Oh, brilliant. Just do, do, do what you want with her. <laughs> so I put in my tweet, 38 minutes in, Connery, with the vigour of an enraged ape, tosses an apathetic woman like a rag doll into a pile of hay because she doesn't react when he tries to rape her, and that's no fun for him. So he literally just throws her into a corner. He's just like, oh, fuck this. And tosses her down like pussy galore. Only he doesn't then leap onto her and cure her of her lesbianism. Oh, on that note, by the way, I forgot to mention this before. When he, we first meet May and Consuela, it's subtle, but it is implied that they are partners. And one of the reasons that Consuela is angry about um, Zed and May being scientifically fascinated with him is that she is jealous and thinks that May is going to, you know, leave her <laughs> no, no, for is, this. I just find you show. fascinating. Oh, fascinating. In what way? Clinically. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. I think you should be taken apart and studied. <laughs> Remember these apathetics, they're going to be coming back. Um, then, shortly after that, Sean Connery has become kind of a monkey butler to this... <laughs> That's literally what he is. And he brings them wine. Delicious wine. Is there any other kind? And uh, and they they ask, like, okay, right, everybody get to the second level of meditation. And friend goes, no, I don't want to. And they go, he doesn't want to get to the second level of meditation. (laughs) Renegade. And then they all go, and waggle their fingers at him. And like friend goes, oh no, 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 we cast you out, renegade, no, no, uh, and it, like, it gets to a sort of a crescendo, and then he basically, I was like, is he going to Scanner's head explode? But he doesn't, he just slumps down. Mm. However, the punishment in the future for being not wanting to meditate to the second level. They they have all sorts of societal strictures and anybody who breaks them. Effectively, they're so bored because they've eliminated everything that could pose um, a threat to human existence. They don't even sleep anymore. They meditate instead because the idea is that all of their um, unconscious that would come out in sleep and dreams doesn't need to anymore because they're so wise, so clever that they are fully in touch with every possible level of their existence. So they just meditate to uh, to rest their bodies. Um, so they, they literally have nothing left that makes them human. Therefore, they are so bored. They've had to invent all of these ridiculous rules and guidelines and bylaws just to give their endlessness some fucking structure. <laughs> and if you do anything bad that they don't like, they turn you into an old person and you have to go and live at an old people's home. That's literally what happens to friends. It's like... He goes from being Paul McCartney then to being Paul McCartney now. And he's just sort of this grey-haired, made-up version of himself. Yeah, it's like, like, oh, this is rubbish. Weird um, coastal um, uh, dance hall. Yeah, they take him to Eastbourne. They're all wearing... um, Take him to Eastbourne. Ballroom dancing clothes and and just pootling around this room, not really knowing what's going on. And they just shut them all in there and leave them. And Sean Connery, the Zed, goes and visits them because it's visiting hours. I don't know. He's treating friend like his granddad now at this yeah. point. And yeah, so it's just kind of, oh, look, old people are disgusting, aren't they? Uh, which is something that uh, M. Night Shyamalan took up in um, The Visit last year. He, you know, he, he sort of picked up that old people are disgusting, aren't they, stick and ran with it. So, yeah. Um, one of these days, M. Night, that will be you. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, later on, Sean does offer to, to lead them in revolution to a country kitchen or something. But 
they, they never really sort of resolve the what to do with the old people. They just situation. kind of they open the doors and they wander out. So they'll still live forever. They'll just be old. Well, that's the idea. Basically, well, they just kill themselves and then wake up young again. Well, no, because they don't know what's going on anymore. That's the point. The 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 punishment in this society is that because is to be bewildered is, is to be aged. The idea is if you do you know minor um, minor transgressions, they will age you by six months or whatever. Um, but the, if they age you by a lot, you basically go senile. But because you don't know what's going on and you're in a relatively protected environment, you're not going to die. But there's no, there seems to be no point between 32 and 80 in this society. Possibly because of Borman's auditioning practices, I don't know. Maybe. Apparently he recruited people who were just on holiday in Ireland. It was like, right, Sean Connery's going to chase you along on a beach and shoot you in the back, so try not to fall under the horse. <laughs> right, so basically you've They had a whale of a time. That's You've got your professional actors, and then you've got a load of old people on holiday, and he thought, how can I work a narrative around this? That's the reason they seem so bewildered. They really didn't know what was going on. They didn't know what was going on. Oh, my God. In fact, didn't you say at one point, it seems apparent they didn't really have a script for this. They just filmed a load of stuff and then worked out how they could stick it together. It's so badly edited. Just in terms of, like... One scene doesn't necessarily lead on to the next. There's no flow. It doesn't have... I think The, the way I put it, actually, uh, was, um, uh, was that this makes the maddest, most incomprehensible Terry Gilliam movie look as coherent, relatable, and tightly edited as Disney in the 90s. It's, it's just watching things happen. And when you finish, it's like, okay, so I got roughly what happened and what that was... But what was that scene about? And like, the more I think about it, the more scenes could just have been lifted straight the fuck out and they'd still have had the same story. Because we're outlining the important stuff, but so much of the other stuff, which isn't really symbolic of much of anything at all, is still in there. Okay, right, here's the thing, guys. Um, if you're going to go on a first date with a girl and you, you say, we're going to see a movie, and she goes, oh, what kind of movie? And you go, it's an experimental film. If you actually like experimental films like this, and she goes, oh, rad, you got to keep her right there. If she does anything else, then I can tell you right now, inside she is screaming and it's not going to last. If you don't like experimental films, you probably wouldn't take her to one of these. And if you did, you'd leave after about 10 minutes and go do something else. Go have a hot dog or something. Because, my God, this is not a date movie. It's really not. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think they make them like these anymore. No. I don't think you'd be able to take a date to one of these anymore. They don't even bother showing these at Cannes anymore. <laughs> under the rare circumstance where you take a girl to see this, neither of you know what it's going to be like, and you only just met each other, and you spend the whole time caterwauling with laughter, and every Zardos <laughs> fan in the audience is like, Shut up! It's a masterpiece! <laughs> Then you got a keeper. Let me tell you right now. Especially. So you... what you're saying is this is a test movie. <laughs> I would say it's like if you like if you like movies, it's kind of it, you should probably see it. You know, it's it's awful, but the way we're describing it. It's so much worse to actually watch it's the, it. It's the visuals. There's just, there's things, there's little frames of expressions. There's moments. There's a bit where... Oh, my God. I know the okay, bit you're going to talk about. Right. These, these two things happen in fairly quick succession. Okay. But there's a bit where um, uh, Connery somehow ends up in what you described as the room of requirement. It's just a... It's just it's, this, this huge... Room full of pictures and sculptures. Museum warehouse. It's all Where cluttered. they put all of the, the statues that they don't need anymore and the paintings that no one's interested in. And the pianos. Everything's covered in dust sheets. And he's walking through and there's a row of mannequins. <laughs> and he gets to the end of this row of mannequins and he stops by one and looks at it. The mannequin and it's just stood there looking straight ahead, not doing anything. And he reaches out and rips its face off. He rips the lower part of his jaw off, which turns out to be like a stick-on, um, like, bit of skin. It was, it was his whole face. Oh, his, it no, just, no, no, it was it just the lower bit. Off. No, no, no. If you look and see what he's holding in his hand, it's just it's like a It's a face. He just peels his face, face off then. And underneath, it's... Um, Arthur. It's Arthur. The guy from the Frank, very beginning Zardoz, with his tea the tea towel on his head. The guy who was pretending to be Zardoz. And he basically is like... <laughs> it is I, Leclerc. <laughs> God. And then he like slaps Connery and then goes, revenge, and then stabs him with a play knife yeah. from well, theatre. Yeah, so he just like pushes it against his and then shoulder. He, he pirouettes and away, clicking Connery's his heels. looking at him with this expression that's like, what the hell? was all, Like he didn't actually know that was going to happen. If I thought he reminded me of Eric Idle before, 
Oh my god, he totally does now. Say no more. It's just, it's ridiculous. It's utterly ridiculous. This, like, after the bit where Friend is turned into an old person and Connery visits Eastbourne, there's an exodus, because I think Connery's like, I don't want to hang around here anymore. Mm. This... And then he leaves the door open and they all get out or They're something. They're going to make me so old, I might do the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. <laughs> um, so it's 51 minutes in, and he, he runs away to, like, the edge of the loch, and there's this giant invisible wall, and you get to see... The ungainly sight of Sean Connery pressing himself up against what feels like, seems like perspex right in front of the camera lens. Like he's squashing his face up against it because he can't get through to the other side. And my tweet was simply, 51 minutes in, Connery tries his very hardest to escape from this movie. It does look like he's trying to he's get out like, of the screen. Get me out of this. Oh my God. Before they send me back to Eastbourne. Yes. Um, so then he goes to a library, I think. Um, and and, he, and he, he's wandering through the books and he finds the Wizard of Oz. And like he holds the Wizard of Oz in front of him and goes, Oh, holy shit! Because it's the wizard behind the curtain. Yes. And he realises that there is no Zardoz. Well, yeah. obviously. Right, we said at the very beginning there was no Zardoz. Exactly. And that's the thing. This is supposed to be a big reveal. This is massive for Zed. Because he's he's kind of subconsciously... Damn you! He's known, you blew it up! He's that known level. all along that something was not right. That's what this was all about. Was him trying to find out the truth. Because something about his life didn't feel right. You shot Zardoz. Beginning, you've got Arthur Frayne's tea towel and his biro beard going, Zardoz. He's a fake god. We know he's a fake god, so that just leaves us sat there thinking, well, Zed's supposed to be this incredibly intelligent, uh, you know, man of all qualities, yet it's taken him this long to figure out what we already knew. Okay. Here is how you do that story. Zed sneaks into the Eloy place by means unknown, but is always afraid of Zardoz, the giant stone head, never goes inside it ever. And then he goes inside it later to meet Zardoz and finds out it's just a wizard behind the... That's how you do it. It's really simple. If at the beginning he goes inside and shoots the guy who's operating it, there's nothing to be revealed. Yeah. Especially, again, I mean, like, that's even without the tacked on, let's explain it for the cheap seats thing at the beginning. The only the only downside with that, and I, I can kind of understand if they are, if this is what they're doing with this is kind of the, uh, the, the subconscious coming out. The idea has to be that Zed knows the truth all along, because the bottom line is you, you know the things that are in your unconscious. You must know them, otherwise they wouldn't be there. The point is you can't face them. That's why they have to come out in um, hidden format like dreams and things like that, um, because you're scared of them. You're, you're afraid of your own, your own desires and your own subconscious. So, But it's really difficult to put that across in a way that doesn't seem ridiculously obtuse or incredibly obvious because you had to explain it at the beginning because you didn't trust your audience to get it. Twice! Right, either trust your audience or don't make the film in the first place because you don't have a trustworthy audience to put it in front of. That's my suggestion. That might have been a concession to the studio. Like, he, sh- he showed a... Was that a thing in those days, though? Maybe. Obviously, test audiences were like, what the fuck did I just watch? And then, like, he asked the old people who were in Eastbourne at the end when they came out, you know, well, what do you think of that film? Well, if I'd known at the beginning what was going on, I might have understood a little bit more. So he's like, right, so if I do a sequence at the beginning that basically explains the setup and says that it's a satire, would you then understand it? Yeah, I probably would, yes. And so he went with that. I'm just going to go ahead and guess... That's roughly what happened. And then at the second screening, after he had put that in, the audience were coming out going, I don't know what was bloody going on in that one. And it's because the film is the same film. Anyway, Zed then takes to, after the library section, running around the place and sweating like a bastard. Um, He's hiding from the Eloy again. 
Um, and then they're, they're he, trying to run him down on horseback and kill him, just like in Planet of the Apes. And then uh, he hides in a barn with the apathetics, and the apathetics are sort of all crowding around at him, like looking at him, going, "Oh, oh, who's this weird new person who's making me slightly less apathetic? I'm, I'm, I'm almost interested at this point." And one girl reaches out to touch his brow, gets a single bead of sweat from his head, and because she's never experienced sweat before, because they've been kept at optimal temperature their entire lives, she tastes the sweat and. Connery's magic sweat produces an orgy. Testosterone. What did I say? The tiniest drop of testosterone. Basically, she shares it around and everyone's like, I have got a boner that could choke a donkey. Let us fuck. And that's basically what happens. We don't really get to see the meat of this scenario. No, everybody kisses each other to pass the sweat around. Yeah. Um, There is, like, some stuff sort of happening afterwards all over the statues. And it's sort of like... Uh, like it, it seems like it might be developing into a horny scene, like Caligula or something. And then Connery hightails. And then it Connery's out of like, there. "I'm getting the fuck out of here. I'm not going to shag you guys." Um, <laughs> and that's when he puts on a br- this. It makes me feel like they cut a good twenty minutes out of the film. Yeah, because I didn't realise what was happening, like, which is why I dissolved when they lifted up the veil. A woman in a dress comes out and then Paul McCartney, aged, pulls back the veil and it's Sean Connery looking grumpy in a bridal gown. And this guy goes, ah, what a pretty bride. I shall take her. And Connery's got this look on his face like, no, you bloody well will not. And uh, he's also got this look on his face like, we discussed this and I said no. I said no to the dress. And then in the next scene. You said, just try it on once, Sean. I go into the changing rooms. I come back wearing it. You've got the fucking cameras out. in the room of requirement this is the bit that Sharon mentioned earlier next to Paul McCartney on a pool table and Paul McCartney's going hello there and he's like oh what's just happened what actually happened was he went into a giant prism or something because uh, hmm, the the girls have caught you know tracked him down what's her name Consuela, Consuela. the racist uh, yeah and May yeah. Is the other one. and they've worked out how to turn him into the perfect man because like obviously his sweat can cure apathy <laughs> Mm. I was going to joke there, but that's literally what happens. What's about to happen? They basically say, right, we figured out how to fix you. All you've got to do is fuck all of us. And Connery's like, all right. Then the large women again. Then the petite women. Then the large women. So Connery fucks everyone off camera, because that would have been interesting otherwise. Um, and, and in return, they read him a bunch of books on tape and he becomes the smartest man who ever lived. No, no, no. Apparently, right. They want these, these women who are they want all him to be ins- very wise. They want, want to be to inseminated. their knowledge yeah. into him yeah. and basically swap their wisdom for, for his, his seed. seed. Wow. So they, devo- they say it would take too long to teach him everything they know. seed that much. It would take too long to teach him everything they know. So they basically say we can impart all of this wisdom just by touching you. Yeah, so then we you will touch teach you. Follows scenes that look like flipping Bond themes with yeah. all these women with writing flowing over their skin in light. There's flipping, women with other women projected Connery. onto them. And just there's one scene where this woman's um, she's she seems to be singing something out of an opera, and it's they've got like a clown face projected onto, onto her, her face. face. While she's singing, because that's culture. That's it's basically culture. Baffling. It's like they they fed the word culture into a 1974 computer, and that came out. It's uh, it's madness. Um, so yeah, Connery gets to bed all of them, and then he wakes up suddenly smart, and he decides, in his infinite wisdom, to put a bit of a jacket on. <laughs> that's the difference between him before and after. He is now. The educated barbarian, the supreme being, because he's big and rough and sweaty and rapey, but he's also really, really smart, and he understands the truth about civilization, and that's what a man should be, even though the women have stolen his seed. Yeah. A lot of stuff's really falling into place now. <clears throat> I think I'm more inclined to agree with um, Luke Besson about the supreme being, frankly. Yeah. Why are we reviewing Zardos before The Fifth Element? I don't know. <laughs> but now when we do review The Fifth Element, we can do it reflectively of Zardos. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so Consuela turns up and tries to stab him, but it turns out that she really just wants to bed him. 
What? Lilu wears like shorts with the crisscross and boots. It could be. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Oh. Yeah. Referencing. Totally. And um, yeah, because Vela turns up, tries to stab him, but it turns out she really just wants to fuck him. Mm. Like all girls who get angry at you. When If a girl's angry at you, it means she wants to fuck you. She's not angry truth. with you. Yeah. It means she wants to fuck you well, also. Yeah. If she is Who wouldn't entirely, want to fuck you? You are um, the educated barbarian uh, and your seed is precious and your sweat causes orgies. Yes. You are the perfect man. Sorry, who are we talking about? Any man watching this who goes, now that, that was what I was talking about to you before when you wouldn't listen to me about being the perfect man. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um... Connery runs through the room of requirement and a bunch of people have been smashing stuff up and he holds out his hand Neo-style and then the film runs backwards so that the things that have been smashed unsmash and they jump backwards out of his way. It's trippy as balls. Um, so then, like, before he can leave, Arthur, like, runs after him and the guy's like, wait, 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 I've got to tell you some shit. And Connery's like, ah, I'm really busy right now. He's like, no, 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 I've got to tell you. It was I, I who did this all along. It was I... I who let you into the stone head. It was I who took a bullet in the shoulder and jumped out to my apparent death, but I'm actually fine. Maybe he regrew as a pod person. Very possibly. Well, yeah, that makes sense. Oh, no, hang on, because they're like, oh, maybe his body's injured and we need to pick him up. I think that was the concern. Mm. Yeah, either way, he comes back. He's drawn on his beard again. Uh, and, yeah, basically, he's orchestrated this whole thing because it was all this big plan to introduce a barbarian seed into this race. Mm. But it's all bollocks anyway because the other enforcers from the Brutals turn up and kill everyone. everyone. Literally everyone. Everyone gets slashed to bits. Yep, shot, Shot stabbed, in the back, stabbed, trampled fucked on by over, horses. just fucked. And the only people left alive are the Brutals, the Enforcers, and uh, all of the Eloy are now dead in this whole kind of like, it's all coming down, man. Society's all coming down. We're going to crush them. Uh, the, the theory is that, uh, or it, at least it seems to be, from what I could piece together, um, that Arthur Frayne worked out that basically their society is um, doomed to entropy because there's nothing new they can't develop anything they can't learn anything there's no no threat therefore there's no invention um, and so his idea was to selectively breed and genetically engineer a perfect brutal to invade them and infuse their society with new life and new energy and what actually happens is the brutals overrun them and kill them all yeah kind of backfired yeah so where's your satire there Borman what's your point <laughs> You have to have a point. Right. You're talking shit again. Explain yourself. <sighs> but the bit where he goes, it was I. There's the most hilarious cut. I put it up on on uh, on Twitter. Like, it cuts to sort of inside the stone head and um, Arthur wearing his tea towel, like, you know, with his head down, flips his head back and gives an insane grin to the camera and a kind of a... <laughs> This is kind a of wild-eyed stare. He, it's just so funny to end the movie on that. It was I, I who did this. So it's not the actual complete end of the movie because Connery and Consuela escape from this massacre and they go to a cave in the outside bit, the Outer Hebrides, and they live in this cave for many decades. They shag, they produce a child... The child grows up. I mean, basically, this whole thing is just a montage of them sitting there with a baby suddenly appears, then gets older. They're getting older. Then the baby gets up in his teens and goes, right, I'm outie. That's me. Walks off. And the, uh, Sean Connery like, and, and, and Consuelo are just like, all right, see ya. And then they, like, holding each other's hands, they apparently drank from the wrong grail because they get older and older, turn into skeletons, the end. And it cuts to sort of handprints and a rusty gun hung from the wall. And it's it's one of those endings where, like, I don't know what Borman wanted from his audience. Like, if he was sat there when the lights, like, w- watching the audience when the lights came up, like, his entire audience, like, like a, a complete cross-section of society would go, what the fuck was the point of all that? Everyone would say that. Everyone would say, what the fuck was the point of all that? Except for people who wear berets. 
that ending is suggestive to me of a deep-seated fear of obscurity, specifically self-obscurity, but also the ultimate obscurity of the human race. That, you know, you're on a planet in the middle of nowhere. But the, the focus was all when on. When we're all dead, that's it. The focus was all on. They're holding hands, then they become skeletons, they die at the end, and who is there to mourn us? If the focus had just turned around, they, you know, they, they, they're old, and the, the camera sort of pans around, and it basically follows the sun out of the cave slowly into the new world mm. that he can then bring life and intelligence to. The point is, life goes on. Yeah, but since the focus is on point. them, and they become skeletons and disappear, the focus is not on life goes on. The focus is, uh, who fucking cares? That's what I mean though that suggests that Borman's outlook is really really nihilistic and what's the point and we're all going to die and all that's going to be left of us is a handprint in a cave yeah it's a depressing ass fucking way to end a movie um so I mean it's actually it's quite a good little neat little sequence and apparently they had to do it three times because the first two times they fucked up the actual filming of it so Connery was most displeased being put in makeup three times no wonder he looked so ticked off by the end also having all of his skin flayed off so that they could play the skeleton <laughs> of him yeah that hurts if you only have to do it once yeah he chose poorly, poorly. so yeah we have just described pretty much the entire film for you I still recommend seeing this film. It's batshit mental, and you won't forget it. Like, we saw Total Recall on the same, like, the day before. Yeah. And Total Recall... Utterly boring. I can't remember it. It's so ironic that a film about... This is in the remake of Total Recall. The original fucking classic. Stay tuned, by the way. We are doing Total Recall. But the remake is so pointless. I won't go into it, but... It takes about the same time to plod through that remake where nothing happens as to watch this truly extraordinary, disastrous film play out. It's rubbish, but like I said at the very beginning, it goes all the way round and sort of becomes kind of extraordinary as an experience. It's never a good film, but it sure as hell isn't just forgettable. Mm. So whether John Borman is already dead by the time we put this out or he is about to die, he accomplished more than Len Wiseman has ever done with his slew of miserable, dark, faux-edgy action thrillers. Yeah. Okay, there you go. I can't really say fairer than that. I'm never going to say I like John Borman or even massively that I respect the man. Um, he, he frightens me, frankly, the, uh, his outlook on life and, and what he considers to be a, a suitable film. But yeah, he made Zardoz. I'm not going to forget that. Any other bit that I forgot? Oh yeah, here's one last thing to just just to leave you on, folks. The film John Borman was gearing up to direct, but ended up not doing, was Lord of the Rings. Thank Christ! Thank Christ! He just buggered up King Arthur, who Sean Connery played in First Night. It's all coming together. Uh, so. I've been Alex Shaw. I've been Sharon Shaw. And school's out.
most satirical.